0: Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. I've been getting a lot of emails about my next guest, a lot of emails. I started telling you a little bit yesterday about uh, our guest and a little bit more today, and I put it on my uh, Twitter feed, at The Roy Green Show. And so now I want to introduce you to the young woman I've been uh, telling you a little bit about. She and I have talked on a number of occasions over the last weeks, and I have. just want to tell you out of the gate, I have tremendous respect for her. I think she's extremely brave, and I think she's extremely determined, and to the betterment of our society, and to the good of all of us. So, I'm just going to, I have to use her first name. She's going to tell us who she is. How are you, Nicole?
1: I'm good, thank you so much for having me.
0: It's great to talk to you, and there's tremendous interest from our listeners to know more about you. So um, let's do this. Let me ask you before I ask you to tell your story. Scott Newark is going to be joining us as well, former Crown Attorney in uh, Alberta and former Senior Public um, Policy Advisor to a Federal Minister for Public Safety who's been on this program for 30-plus years. Um, Nicole, why are you doing this? Why are you going public?
1: Um, I want going public because um, I want to protect, I want to protect the public and prevent future victims from long-term and dangerous offenders. Um, staying silent and sitting in the back seat watching as the system's failing us, I, I just can't do it anymore.
0: Okay, so please tell us your story and I know you're going to identify yourself. There was a publication ban on your name. But you worked very hard to have that lifted, and you have had it lifted. So please share your story with us and take your time.
1: Yes. Well, thank you, and bear with me, because it is a long story. My name is Nicole Davey, and in 2002, I was 13 years old. I was raped by a 29-year-old man, and it took me a few years to come forward. But finally, in 2005, I had him convicted. Getting the conviction, it helped me to heal and become a stronger person. So that in 2015, when I was contacted by an amazing officer who recognized the severity and the danger of this person inflicted on his community, worked very hard with the Crown to get justice for victims and protect the public from it. They asked me if I could and would be willing to testify in a long-term and dangerous offenders trial. Without hesitation, I said yes. And agreed, because I would do anything to be able to prevent future victims uh, having lived the trauma that this guy had invoked on his, inf- inflicted on his victims. Luckily, in 2016, the psychopathic sex offender was finally declared a dangerous offender and was paired with a 10-year long-term supervision order. I was so ecstatic, and I finally thought that I finished and succeeded my job to protect the community from him. It turns out it was just the beginning of my fight. I went from being a victim of my rapist to feeling victimized by the system. It started with my first interaction in 2017 with the Parole Board of Canada Pacific region. During this phone call, they argued with me and told me that he was not a dangerous offender. They proceeded to tell me that he was only a long-term offender. I left that phone call thinking that I did not and imagined getting that dangerous offender's designation, I had to have the Crown actually intervene on my behalf and correct them. So I'm still baffled to this day that they, rather than look through the file, decided to argue with me. Uh, Followed by my rapist deciding not to participate in a hearing, which then rendered it a paper closed hearing. I was told I'd only be able to submit a written statement. I wanted my voice heard and not read on top of a pile of papers. I felt like this was a way for my rapist to silence me in the hearing. He used this loophole, so I asked for the victims, for the office of the Ombudsman for Victims of Crime, to help me. And we managed to change the policy to allow all victims to submit written or audio statements in closed paper hearings across the board. In January twenty one, January twenty twenty one. My rapist had served his full warrant expiry and had to be released on his LTSO. I believed that the LTSO meant that he would be living in a community correction center, that he would be monitored at a federal level at all times, that it would make it harder for him to fall through the cracks. I also knew, with him being a psychopathic, untreated, high-risk, long-term, dangerous sex offender, that he more than qualified for the Police Services Act to be invoked, which would allow the, pol- the which would allow the police Services in his community to inform the public of his release. I contacted this officer and begged them to do this release. They said that they couldn't, as they needed to protect his the success of his rehabilitation into the community. Within months, he broke his conditions. He broke laws. He displayed violent, disturbing behavior, and he was testing and pushing all the boundaries. Um. For this, he was only given a two-month reprimand. He was never charged, and he was released back out. The information that I was received through the parole board decisions was disturbing and set off every alarm bell. I demanded that the high-risk sex offender manager to release the information, as he more than qualifies in doing so and not doing so is pu- putting the public at risk. They again ignored me. Knowing what I got from the parole decisions and the information was uh, appalling. I don't know how much I can share about it. it. was just appalling. I couldn't sit back silently. I contacted every resource I could, asking them to intervene and to fix this policy as it's a matter of public safety. I was ignored, redirected, and for the past year, for the past year I've been traumatized by it, feeling ignored, feeling like I'm drowning and I'm the only person that knows that the potential danger that he is inflicting on his community and no one is doing anything to intervene. I had to have my publication ban removed in order to come here and discuss this with you guys and hopefully get some, get some pointers on how I can change this policy. That's my story. And thank you for bearing with me.
0: You are an amazing person. I've heard from victims of crime for so many years, that once they're involved with the system, they feel as though the system represents the interests of the convicted offender and does not represent the interests of the victim. We pointed out some years ago that when an individual is incarcerated, they get a little blue book from Correctional Service Canada. And in the introduction in that little blue book, the convicted offender is described as the client. The person is the client of the justice system of Canada. Meanwhile, the the victims of the crime are pushed and pulled and bullied. Their victims' impact statements are quite often, um, well, they have to submit them for scrutiny for the parole board. And uh, I've had victims tell me on the air that the members of the parole board told them your victim's impact statement is too long, and if you don't shorten it, we'll do it for you. And the offender gets to see the victim's impact statement first. Nicole, how do you feel after sharing your story? How do you feel?
1: Oh, relief to finally have it out. It's been, like I said, that publication ban had me had me feeling drowning, like I'm screaming underwater, and no one can hear me. And now that I'm free of that, it's like I, I feel free. I can breathe right
0: now. Scott Newark, former Crown Attorney in Alberta, former Public uh, Safety Minister, Senior Policy Advisor, also former Executive Director of the Canadian Police Association. Scott, talk to Nicole, please.
2: Hi, Nicole. Um, Hi, Scott. Thanks. <laughs> i got to tell you, what uh, Roy was mentioning is something that, uh, frankly, you epitomize, and it's been something that I've uh, Observed over my years, uh, which is that, uh, you know what, people make a difference. People like you. Okay? And sometimes it gets overlooked, but our criminal justice system is not something that was invented by the Federal Department of Justice three weeks ago. Okay? It's a part of our culture. It's been around for hundreds of years, and there's a reason why the uh, style of cause is Regina versus so and so. And it's not because the crimes all happen in Saskatchewan. It's because that it, a crime against an individual is a crime against society and us all. And therefore, it's in everybody's best interest when we know the truth about what's going on and as well about uh, deficiencies in the system. And having people, quite frankly, with your knowledge and your courage in coming and speaking up and exposing things is exactly, in my experience, and, you know, it's about 40 years of what properly informs not only systemic accountability, but also public safety and effective policy change where it's needed. So trust me, uh, I can tell with this that you're making a difference.
1: I refuse to give up. I
2: can't give up until I do. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I remember I loved being a crown prosecutor in Alberta. As I explained to people, uh, the reason I left was, and uh, it it happened really because I was exposing um, defects in people who were being dangerous, repeat offenders who were being released early when they shouldn't have been, who went out and killed people. And then, of course, the system covered everything up. And I, because of my, you know, pretty good contacts with the police, I managed to figure out the truth. And I had some political contacts. I was very lucky I had uh, the chief crown in my office and the attorney general had my back and allowed me to go and speak in public, testify before parliament. But as I put it, and explained it to people, I love being a crown prosecutor, but I got tired of tripping over the mistakes of the parole system in my courtroom. And I realized that the only way to fix it was to actually change laws and policies. And that meant Ottawa. And it's the same thing as what you're describing here. You look at this and just shake your head at the non performance of the system, especially when, you know, they're actually using modernized tools to deal with these high risk offenders. Okay, but they're not using the other tools in the toolbox like you described. I've done a little bit of research into this and the uh the second series of uh, of events with this guy, he had new charges against him, I think I believe starting or rising out of twenty fourteen and he was Uh, declared a dangerous offender and given a long-term supervision order of 10 years in uh, 2016, okay? And, you know, that's one of the new tools targeted uh, that's meant to, uh, you know, provide enhanced public safety, which is a good thing. But, you know, then as I've been listening to you and reading some of the stuff, this guy is released. Uh, The conditions that he's released on are questionable. They don't include all of the lawfully authorized tools that would actually improve public safety. And then, bizarrely, when he is found to have breached his conditions, which, by the way, and I was involved in drafting these laws, that is a crime. And as I read things, he's never been charged. Instead, they just bring him back for a couple of months and then release him again? Yes, they ridiculous. He broke
1: the conditions, but as well, he also committed a crime and like broke the law, and they still didn't charge him. Meanwhile, if me and you or any of us were caught in the possession that he was caught with, we would all be charged. Yeah. Meanwhile, he's a dangerous sex offender caught with this possession and decides, oh, no, you're just freshly out. We'll just give you a quick reprimand and send you on your way.
2: You know, i so got to tell you, a, and Roy is familiar uh, with listen. this as well, too. This is part of what I believe is the culture at Correctional Services of Canada and the rubber stamp uh, parole board of Canada, which is we know best, never admit anything is wrong. And over the years, I've actually interacted with a lot of uh, Correctional uh, Services of Canada uh, uh, officials, frontline officers who are as appalled as you and I are about this. And yeah, they Scott. they told me that the culture reflects a what is known as GTO, or get them out, and mm-hmm. KTO, keep them out.
0: Let me ask you this question: What's what, what's available to Nicole? Because I'm thinking of, just Nicole. I think about you, 13 years of age, uh, being sexually assaulted by this individual who had already had a record, and we know more about him now. The, to have the courage and the determination to do what you did is just absolutely off the scale remarkable. Um, Scott, what's what's available to Nicole as far as the system is concerned? We know the the system wants to take care of uh, him, but what's what's available to to Nicole?
2: um, One of the things that I would recommend, and I believe Nicole actually touched on it, uh, take a look at what the existing legal tools are. Like what I just mentioned, uh, why is uh, this guy not charged? Section 753.3 of the criminal code. Why was he never charged with that offense? Number one. Number two, uh, the Police Services Act allows for the police to issue a public statement if they think somebody poses a risk. Why has that not been done? And that's not at the discretion of Correctional Services of Canada. Neither one are. Okay. So, you know, that's something that could be done. And that also leads me to looking at something that I've discovered along the way as well, too. Our justice system has multiple players with discretion. Okay, so, as I say, the cops can issue, the chief of police, where he resides, can issue a public alert warning, and as well, the police and the Crown's office can decide that no matter what correctional services may case, may say, they're going to lay a charge for this guy having breached the, uh, the criminal code. Right breaching conditions
0: we have about a minute just over a minute left. nicole go ahead what, what 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 do you want to add you've been listening to scott you've been thinking i'm sure about what you've what you said you made a huge impression on the people in this country listening to this program with your courage you again remembering you were 13 when this happened to you what, what do you want to add
1: um just that uh, yeah i basically called everyone i could think of to find out why is he not being charged why is this not being done and I was just told time and time again that these challenges and stressors are part, are part of the adjustment and the hurdles that you, and it's to be expected when he's just freshly freshly released.
0: So you're the one, you're just pushed to the side. You were collateral damage for the system then. Was that fair? Yeah. I, mean, does, yeah. I mean, yeah. Scott, do you remember conversation we had? Uh, we were on the air together with Correctional Service Canada representatives some years ago who had that amazing statement yeah. about those of us who were not in prison. Remember what they said?
2: Uh, non-convicted individuals living in the community. That's how they described citizens. Yes, yeah.
0: people who don't break the law are non-convicted individuals living in the community just about to uh, break the law and become a client. That's the way
2: the system but works. The, Roy, just to quickly follow up on your point, The different groups, other than Correctional Services of Canada, they should be held accountable for not using the legal tools that are available.
0: If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend.